Every year since 1886, the Winnebago tribe has celebrated the life and achievements of Chief Little Priest and the other veterans who died saving their tribe and acquiring the lands in which they now reside. But this 157-year tradition is a celebration that almost wasn't. Welcome to 93 Counties, a podcast about Nebraska and the people that call it home. I am your host, Mari Pilling. Today, Alex Neal and I will take you to the Winnebago Reservation in Thurston County to hear the history and the stories of the Ho-Chunk people and the oldest Native American celebration in the United States. Native American culture is unique. The focus on the individual is trumped by the identity of the tribe itself. So it's only right to hear from the members of the tribe and those who actually live within its lands, including Angel Decor Museum director Sunshine Thomas Bear. Sunshine and other Winnebago tribe members lay claim to a very unique title among other Native Americans, hosts of the longest running powwow in North America. Every July, the tribe celebrates their annual Winnebago homecoming celebration in honor of current and past veterans within the community. The um, Ho-Chunk people as a whole have always been known as a warrior society. So, you know, you see that in our resilience and our willingness to continue to fight to stay alive. But this record-breaking powwow was a celebration that almost wasn't. Um, I think that all tribes across the country has succumbed to assimilation, colonization of all of their peoples, not just the Winnebago's. You know, this was 157 years ago. Traditionally, a Wisconsin-based tribe, the Ho-Chunk people were forced to relocate after numerous battles and epidemics caused by European settlers. Even their name was changed to the Winnebago first used as a derogatory term towards the natives, meaning dirty water. The tribe was forced to move throughout the modern Midwest, with stops in western Minnesota, northeastern Iowa, to the dry, harsh conditions of southern South Dakota. This relocation adds an asterisk to the record of the longest-running powwow, according to some, since the event has been held in different locations over the years. Even so, the Ho-Chunk eventually landed in the good life. About an hour south of Sioux City, Iowa, the Winnebagoans call Thurston County, Nebraska, home. We are actually woodland people, and we come from the uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, Great Lakes area. And after several removals, our last removal um, taking us from uh, the Blue Earth area into Crow Creek, South Dakota. And then there... The um, living conditions at that time and probably still today, you know, are were very dire for us. Not only was the government not bringing our rations when they did, it was, you know, rotten food. We couldn't farm on the land. You know, there was nowhere to hunt. There was nowhere to sustain ourselves as a people. So then they took us to Fort Snelling where we were all prisoners there and then rode the steamboat down the Mississippi to Crow Creek. And along that journey, you know, people were dying, they were starving. So any any of our people that did pass away on the ride um, down and up to Crow Creek, you know, they would stop every once in a while and just throw their bodies off. 
It was at Crow Creek Reservation where the tribe decided to disregard the powerful American government. To save their tribe, they would have to take matters into their own hands. Our numbers were very minimal, so our leaders took the initiative to ask our Omaha relatives if we could come down here for our survival. And so they came down and uh, met with the Omaha Nation tribal leaders and, you know, they, they're very welcome and caring people. And, you know, they said, yeah, you know, bring your people down. And it was under stipulations that we would protect them. In order for the Ho-Chunk people to secure the land that they purchased from the Omaha, Chief Little Priest and other warriors from the tribe enlisted in the U.S. military. The U.S. government required many Native Americans to enlist in the military, and Chief Little Priest decided that he would do the bidding of the oppressors, even if it meant that he would have to fight against his Native brothers and sisters to legally acquire the land rights from the U.S. government. Our leaders, knowing that, you know, we couldn't all just get up and leave, you know, because we were supposed to be there by government treaty. So, you know, slowly our people snuck off and eventually came down here. Instead of the government, you know, taking us right back, our tribal leaders, um, Little Priest, uh, Little Hill, they had, instead of the government taking us back to Crow Creek where we knew, you know, we would probably all eventually die. Little Priest made a pact with the government that, you know, I will go fight and he was going to go fight the Lakota, the Sioux Nation. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to go fight his brothers, but to save his people and his family. I always ask people, you know, what would you do to save your children, your family? Because he made that decision to go and do that. When he came back, he actually was badly wounded. Nothing could save him. By the time he got back down here, he was really ill um, from the wounds. And we tried, they tried to um, perform certain ceremonies with him, but he eventually succumbed to his wounds. The story of Chief Little Priest, however, was not limited to just the Ho-Chunk people. It was during his battles in the Rocky Mountains that the legend of Chief Little Priest has influenced songs even in the Lakota and Cheyenne tribes. It's one of the most popular stories that Sunshine shares with visitors at the Angel Decorum Museum. Little Priest was fighting and he was a very, you know, fierce warrior. Um, he was known to be able to, you know, get himself out of anything and fight whomever, you know, and come out on top. And so he was fighting and being attacked. And I think that he possibly got separated um, during the fight. He was hit, but he climbed into a cave. They knew that he went into this cave and um, they all went over there, you know, to try to get him out or fight him or kill him or whatever. And then he emerged as a giant grizzly bear. And um, the Sioux people, they actually have a song that they sing because they came and they continue to sing that song about Little Priest up there, you know, and how he emerged and um, fought his way out. And then when he went back into the cave and he came back out as a man. After the mortally wounded, Chief Little Priest returned to current-day Thurston County in 1886, he tragically died. 
The Ho-Chunk people continue to honor his memory and service with the annual homecoming celebration going on 157 years. Since September of that year, the Winnebago people gather annually to honor Chief Little Priest. The celebration is not just a tribute to the chief and the men who helped certify the lands with the U.S. government. It also serves to recognize the veterans within the Winnebago community. You know, and that's a story that's told every day at the homecoming celebration. Um, you know, and that's uh, part of the reason that we started it, you know, um, that our people decided that, you know, a little priest needed to be honored. When the Winnebago Reservation had been established and the Ho-Chunk people had finally found a home, all seemed in place. But oppression would yet again find its way into Winnebago and throughout many Native American communities. So when you're looking at the history of all tribes, you know, and the government had picked religious institutions to go into tribes to assimilate them. So what they wanted from these non-native white people was to come in and um, turn our people into, you know, get them into religion and also get them into agriculture. So that is what um, churches tried to do. And then um, a lot of our um, students, like, children age, they would be taken to boarding schools. St. Augustine's is a school that's still here that was a boarding school. So that's the school up on the hill up there. A lot of our students were taken to Genoa, um, you know, where we're still searching for the cemetery of our students there. Um, other tribes, we are trying to locate where our children are and give them a proper burial. You know, with the religious push on tribal people, you also get that trauma. Children being stolen, you know, of various things happening. You know, if you're looking into boarding schools, the various different types of um, abuses that happen to children. Um, and a lot of our children didn't come home, you know, like the children that we're searching for in Genoa. So there's a lot of that push from religions, um, from which came from the government. Um, to try to assimilate us and colonize us. And that's where, you know, slowly we're breaking away from that, um, but it's still very prevalent in our communities. Some Ho-Chunk children were taken from their homes and placed into foster care or boarding schools against their will. It was deemed by these religious movements that the state of living that many Native American reservations showed were not right. Many of the Ho-Chunk children that were stripped from their families never came back, and those who did compared the experience to slavery. Winnebago tribe member Thelma was one of those children. Okay. Uh, later years, my high school years, the Mormons would come around, so then I got into that. So then I went away in a placement program for two years. Oh, wow. I mean, it was okay, but um, in a way it wasn't. <laughs> Because they took us to be, it was like slaves. We were like slaves. Mm -hmm. um, the one home I went to is, they lived on a dairy farm. So I was basically there to work. Mm -hmm. I never went to a store. I never bought new clothes. They made my clothes and they were like old fashioned or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I never went back after that. Yeah. Despite the determination by some American religious movements to force assimilation and abandonment of Native American heritage, 
the Ho-Chunk people were able to celebrate their culture and continue their annual powwow through this troubling time. But even after this second attempt at cultural erasure, difficulties and hard times returned. In the 1970s, economic hardships from high budget deficits, lower interest rates, the oil embargo, and the collapse of managed currency rates in the U.S. were felt all around the country. Native American reservations were no different. We came here um, 157 years ago. Um, we were mostly forced to depend on the government rations, um, where you see that struggle of um, Native Americans across the country um, still being reliant on the government. You know, um, that's a tough thing to break when you've made them strictly dependent on you and what you're giving them. You know, there's not much jobs in in these towns, you know, and let alone a reservation. You know, you can't even bring businesses in here to start. You know, and as we became more dependent on the government, um, you know, we stopped certain things like hunting, fishing for ourselves, taking care of ourselves, and then also steal our children from us. You know, so a lot of our people in that time after their children were taken were turn to what else can you turn to, you know, to numb that pain of not knowing where your children are or not knowing if they're alive or, you know, their children coming back and not knowing them. You know, there's so much different traumas that is involved in boarding schools and all that. Like if, if you look at the economics of just the economics, you know, who wants, who's able to even work? You know, if you think of someone that you love so dearly, if they just disappeared one day, would you be able to, you know, continue to go on? You know, and we as a people hold our children very close. Um, I'm a grandmother and our grandchildren are, are usually raised or a big part of being raised are by their grandparents. You know, because we teach them how to be, you know, the stories, those types of things. So going back to, you know, the 60s, 70s, you know, it was just a desolate area. You know, there was not really any flourishing businesses. There was no type of income that could come in besides government, you know, so they were still strictly just dependent on government handouts. With the American government supplying fewer resources and less funds to the reservation, the Ho-Chunk people were left with tough decisions. Do they leave their family and reservation in search of a better life? Or do they continue to endure the poor living conditions in Winnebago? A lot of people didn't come back from the relocation era. Native Americans as a whole have the highest per capita of enrollment in the military. So you see that, um, you know, if you when you start to see the percentages of, you know, blacks in the military, whites in the military, Spanish or Mexican, um, Asian, although our population is low, we are one of the highest people that enroll in the military. So we have a lot of people that go into the military and various grants. There's a lot going on here in Winnebago now. With increasing amounts of families and youth leaving Winnebago, the culture and the language was in danger. But despite this, elders in the community and youth who stayed in Winnebago saw a need to revive their dying culture and continued to celebrate their annual powwow honoring the tribe's veterans. Despite the strong connection the tribe has to its heritage and the resilience to its cultural erasure, 
the Ho-Chunk language and traditions were close to dying. In recent years, however, the director of language in Winnebago, Louis Blue Sire, is helping implement the Ho-Chunk heritage into everyday lives of the next generation of Winnebago children. Our language is still alive today. Um, there's a lot of tribes that are going through that issue of being critically endangered to lose it. But, um, you know, some tribes have even lost it. And then there's some tribes that even revived it back from the dead. We have a, a pool of speakers that still really help in revitalizing it. So with those efforts and also with our efforts here, we have some elders, some teachers. With that, what we did is that I hired um, key staff to begin developing a dual language classroom. Right now, I have uh, nine children um, that are speaking in their language, introducing themselves in their language, are, are learning the Nebraska state standards, but using the medium of their culture to do that. Wow. So, you know, um, we have ways of counting in our language. We're using our culture to really meet those standards. And these younger ones are our ambassadors. Uh, we're gonna be ambassadors for our people. And so they're starting to sing songs and they're starting to um, really understand our values and stuff. So um, I just can't say, I can say go on and on and on and on about them. <laughs> but, and let's try different things. If it doesn't work, well, we tried it. You know, let's try this. You need to find a, a good way that the root of it is how our language is going to be preserved and revitalized. As the elders and other tribe members started to see an increase of interest, the community is investing modern technology and methods to continue this spread. Yeah, like the buffalo is like symbolized to be the one that brought the news to, you know, everybody in the community and relays like the important, and, you know, um, announcements or things like that. So with like the big boys and us being a vehicle for our community to relay important announcements, um, upcoming events, um, emergency announcements, anything of that matter, it just kind of symbolized with that of us bringing that news and that information to the community. So we just tried to kind of tie that in with our culture of what the bison stands for, the Buffalo clan. The Big Voice, a Winnebago tribal radio station started running a little over a year ago on KWTN 100.9 FM. This station, which plays traditional Native American tribal music, is one of the ways the Ho-Chunk people are staying connected to their heritage all year round. The Big Voice program director, Bethany Redhorn, grew up participating in powwow dances. This important part of her heritage was one of the reasons that Bethany got involved with this new means of sharing Ho-Chunk culture throughout the community. The departments here in Winnebago, and just like in my age group, there's more of us younger ones that are becoming more involved with these things that, I guess like growing up, you always thought, and you was always kind of told like the elders are the ones that should like be the only ones to be taking care of these things, but now that we're, you know, I'm, I'm getting older too. So it's like now we just have to take the initiative, not being told to do it or, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of that way, but there is a lot of like younger, um, a lot of the younger generation are starting to become involved. Along with the big voice, the Winnebago Communications Department publishes the Winnebago News through newspapers and online publications, the Winnebago Indian News. Editor of the paper, Jordana Bass, is one of the Ho-Chunk people who left the reservation in search of better education. 
she realized that after her time at Santa Fe studying graphic design and journalism, she was being called back to her roots and returned to Winnebago to head the WIN. When I was down there, um, down in the Southwest, it was Santa Fe, especially their tribes. Yeah, their tribes down there. Um, you have like the Navajo, you have Apache, you have Hopi, then just like all those Southwest tribes, like they're all really connected to their culture and their language. And a lot of them still, you know, they'll come to classes with their regalia and they'll be able to introduce themselves in their in their language and they'll just be able to talk fluently. So when, you know, I wasn't able to grow up that way. So when I went down there, you know, it was kind of like, geez, I wish, you know, I wish I knew my language. I wish I could, you know, I wish I, you know, had that confidence or was able to speak that. So I learned, you know, I, I found that kind of passion down there for wanting to relearn it. So when I came back up here, like I understood that there was an importance in, you know, storytelling and, you know, us as Native people, we were, you know, that's a part of who we are and um, a part of sharing our culture and our history. So um, that's how I try to write with my, um, in my journal, in my articles. I always try to um, start off with like, um, whoever I'm interviewing kind of introduce introduced me um with their whole chunk their whole chunk name their clan their parents and their grandparents because that's kind of just how we used to do it back in the days just so we can make that family connection and then i also try to um find a teaching in every every article that i try to write about because i learn a lot from a lot of them are tribal leaders tribal elders and then a lot of them have a lot of knowledge to share that i you know that i feel that a lot of other a lot of our other younger tribal members need to learn so it's just definitely um finding connection from your culture to culture to today. By sharing these important stories, Ho-Chunk people from Thurston County and around the United States can still remain in tune with their heritage through resources like The Big Voice. Even during the COVID-19 pandemic, the Winnebago tribe was able to live stream all of the events at the powwow, gathering thousands of online viewers. For the first time in history of the Winnebago tribe, we had to move it in 2020. Um, usually we'll have it at the end of July, but because of the pandemic, um, usually it's a four-day celebration. In 2020, we only had a one-day because of the pandemic. So, And it wasn't in July. We didn't have it until that first week of September. So there was just a lot of different things and factors that played at that time. And they, they thought that was the, the best way to go about it, which it also implemented um, live streaming. So live streaming is very new to it because a lot of it, like there's a lot of like, I'd say there's like 50-50. You know, half of 50% of the people you know, that maybe they're not able to attend or whatever the reason they're not able to come to the powwow, they appreciate and they really um, are grateful for those live streams because they can, you know, tune in, they can see all the different dancing, they can hear the stories that are shared, um, they can hear the specials and just anything that's, you know, discussed throughout it, it's all in that live stream as well. With outlets like The Big Voice, the WIN, newly introduced Ho-Chunk language curriculum in schools and the revamped Angel Decor Museum, Winnebago residents and youth continue to see their culture and language be revitalized through modern means. As the tribe starts planning for the 157th annual celebration, the Ho-Chunk people can look forward to yet another year of tribal dances, homemade dishes, heart-filled songs, and many more memories to be made. At our celebration, there's four songs that are sung that are of the, the little priest songs. Those are his songs, and one of them talks about, uh, it says, we have a spot out there, like a family area, and we camp out there every year um, for the past few years. It's just like, I just want to so badly, like, get back out there and dance. Like, it just, you have that, like, yearning to want to dance. 
you know, getting up and hearing the drums and watching all the families um, bring their flags in and the veterans hanging them up. I'm 36 years old and um, I look back and some of the moments that I really cherish is the um, moments I got to spend with my father and my uncles and we sing around the drum. Just a lot of the, the humor, uh, the enjoying each other's company. Um, and in the mornings, there's stories being told about the history, you know, Little Priest stories. Memories that instill a purpose behind Chief Little Priest's sacrifice in 1866 to preserve and to protect the memory and the heritage of the Ho-Chunk people that have endured many hardships in finding their home here in Nebraska. Year after year, the Winnebago tribe meet for their annual homecoming celebration. And despite the many obstacles over the decades that have threatened the Ho-Chunk way of life, the event continues to go on. That is a celebration of us being able to stay here and we are still here today. So that is why we celebrate it and why it's so important. Because his decision to do that, you know, even though he did not want to fight his brothers, um, he saved all of our lives. This episode was hosted and recorded by me, Mari Pilling, and written and co-produced by Alex Neal in collaboration with Advanced Audio Content Creation and 90.3 KRNU. 93 Counties is a KRNU Studios production from the College of Journalism and Mass Communications at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Thank you for listening.